Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's been a busy week. I've actually had a couple great interviews. I was able to interview Brian Toss, and we're going to have the first part of a three-part interview with Brian Toss today. Brian Toss is the author of a book that I recommend everybody have, and it's called The Rigger's Apprentice. And I'll put a link to his website, and I think it's already listed as one of my recommended books in my website, so you might check it out. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure it's there. But if it's not, it's a book that you should have on your bookshelf. It's a book on rigging, and it explains the philosophy of rigging and the stresses that are put on uh, the different rigs that are out there, the different shrouds and stays that you have on your boat. And so he explains it in a very effective way with wonderful illustrations in his book. So I've been looking forward to talking to Brian Toss for a long time. And we scheduled this original interview before I went sailing this summer. And finally, we're caught up this week and we were able to do an interview. Brian lives up in Port Townsend, Washington. They have a wooden boat festival every year. I've been up to the wooden boat festival when I had my boat up in in Anacortes, Washington. It was a wonderful uh, event. If you're up in that area and you have a chance to go to the wooden boat festival, I'm not sure exactly when it is, but it's uh, it's fun to go up to. But he describes the community very well. It sounds like a delightful community for people like me that are a bit romantic about wooden boats. And I had a great time talking to him. So I hope you enjoy it. So what's been going on? I finally got my building permit. I don't think I told anybody that the last couple podcasts. But about two weeks ago, I finally got a building permit for the addition on my summer home. We should be pouring the concrete and footings next week. We've already done the excavation. So it will move forward a little bit. That's all I plan on doing this year because it's too late to do anything else. Let's not forget that the bureaucrats took from March until <laughs> September before I was able to get my building permit. Give me a break, guys. If you work for government, you're not justifying your existence by delaying, delaying, delaying. All right. Okay. Well, anyway, we got it. And so I drove up there yesterday with a friend of mine just to take a look. Uh, actually, we were going up to scout out the elk hunt, which starts in a week. I've got another permit to go elk hunting, and I have a companion that's going to be joining me this year. I still have a bit of meat left from the last year's elk, so I'm not really desperate for, for an elk. But if the opportunity arises, then I'll go ahead and take another elk this year. But when I went up there, <laughs> there was a film crew up on our property. Uh, 
apparently filming uh, for the new series Blood and Oil, which I think is an ABC Disney uh, series with Don Johnson in it, I guess is who is on. But uh, they plan on shooting uh, a couple scenes up on our property. A lot of the scenes, in fact, all the scenes from that movie are being shot in Utah. It's supposed to take place up in North Dakota, but it's all being shot in Utah. I think I'll go up maybe on Monday. They're going to be actually doing the shooting on Monday. Maybe I'll take some pictures and post them on the website if I get a chance. Other than that, really not much to report. I want to get this podcast out. I want to grow my audience. If you have friends that would be interested in this type of a podcast, please tell them about it. And also, do me a favor, go into the iTunes store, not the iTunes store, the, uh, the podcast store on iTunes, and give me a positive rating. I haven't had any comments uh, for several months. And a lot of the ratings on podcasts are dependent on the listeners going in and saying, hey, I enjoyed this podcast. And I know when I'm looking at podcasts, if there's a lot of positive reviews, I'll tend to subscribe to that podcast. So do me a favor and go into iTunes and, and give me a positive rating. Maybe write a quick comment if you would. All right, if you're learning to sail, I have some audio courses for the ASA 101, 103, and 104 series. I can't teach you how to sail, but I can teach you the terminology and the theory and make you think of what's going on when you're sailing on a boat. What are the forces that are affecting the movement of the boat? What are the rules of the road? What safety items do you need on a boat? Those sort of things I can teach you in an audio course, but I cannot teach you how to sail. And you've got to get out on the water to learn how to sail. If that's of interest to you, please go to the website, medsailor.com, and uh, check out the products that I have available. All right, thanks. With that out of the way, let's get on to the first part of three of my interview with Brian Toss. I'm here with Brian Toss. Brian Toss is the author of a book that I've had on my book and a book that I've had on my boat. And in fact, last summer I got it out again, like I do every summer. And the binding is falling apart, pages are coming out, and and I'm sort of resigning myself that I'm going to have to buy another one of your books. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, I guess it's a good sign that's a much-loved book. In fact, I, I showed your book to my crew members, and we got together, and we all started doing a, an ice splice for three braided line. I was making up new mooring lines, and I said, okay, everybody, here's the pictures. Let's go ahead and do it. And uh, took us, you know, we were sitting along, they're sailing along, in a beautiful day sailing, and just working on uh, on doing some ice splices. And, and I tell people that that is a standard book that they should always have on their on their boat, and, 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 you know, there's other books out there, like there's Ashley Book of Knots, and there's and there's other books like that. But you have a, a philosophy of rigging, and you have wonderful illustrations, and and it's it's an honor for me to actually talk to you. So thank you for wow. joining me. That, you're, you're most kind. And I just, I'm really taken with the image uh, of the book and you and the boat and the rope. Uh, you know, I, I, I started writing about rigging because I just love the art. I wanted to share the the gift basically i wanted to keep the gift moving and you send these out like 
like a little boat into the world. You don't know where it's going to go or who's going to see it, let alone how they're going to relate to it. And it's just so gratifying to know that it's out there on the boat with rope. That's grand. And uh, uh, the illustrations, by the way, you know, I, I could have written the laundry list and Rob Shutterly's illustration would have just carried that book. He, he actually learned how to do things like splice wire so that he could draw it well. He was the most, most involved illustrator. Uh, yeah, and, and then Ashley's, of course. You know, when I was uh, 17, 18, a friend of mine gave me a, an awful book, um, The Encyclopedia of Knots and Fancy Rope Work, which is about the same density as Ashley's, but a horrible book. You know, it's murky black and white illustrations and bad instructions. And, uh, they'll do things like say, uh, here is a double diamond mule pack pattern and uh, just tie it as it shows in the picture. And good, good luck, right? But that Christmas, my, my family gave me a copy of Ashley's, which I still have. Um, 3,854 knots. Um, and it was, it was my entree into rigging. It's how I got into rigging, just by being obsessed, kind of addicted, kind of un unhealthy, addicted to knots. But that led to what can you do with them? And that led to one of the loads. And that led to humans eventually. So I became less of a hermit uh, by that odd path. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm glad that the end result was something you could make some mooring lines out of. That's great. Oh, yeah. I've um, I've used your book many times. I have, uh, you you know Larry and Lynn Party. Oh, yeah. Pretty well. Yeah. Pretty well. A good friend of mine uh, lived in Salt Lake uh, <laughs> is Marsh Party, who is, a bro is the brother of Larry Party. Oh, I just missed seeing, I think. No, with Lynn's brother, I just missed seeing. Carry on. Okay. And anyway, so Larry was down visiting Marsh one time here in Salt Lake and I think we all went skiing together at that time and and at that time I was I was working on building my boat. And I had actually cast out my own uh wire rope rigging vice based on the pictures that I saw in your book. Wow. And um and it was made out of bronze. And I was trying to learn to do the ice splices, the wire rope ice splices. And yeah. I had the hardest time um, getting it started. Once once I got it started, it was it was a piece of cake. But just getting it started that was thing. the hard part. And I still couldn't quite figure it out from your illustrations. So I, Marsh was over at our house, and I took him out to my workshop, and he was looking at my boat, which is basically the same boat he has. Mine was a Sam Moore's Bristol Channel Cutter. I'm oh, sure. But... Uh, his, his, of course, is out of wood and mine's out of fiberglass. But I said, you know, Larry, could you just show me? Here, take this little bit of yeah. uh, 3 16th, uh, 7 by 19 wire rope and just get an ice splice started for me. And so he did. Oh, I said, oh, that's easy to do. Let me do that for you. So he did that. And just as he got the first tuck in, not even the first tuck, just the start before the first tuck, I said, oh, stop right there. And I cut it, and it's still hanging in my workshop. <laughs> 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 so I've got a, an, a, an example if I decide to do it again. But but I came to the conclusion when I was rigging my boat that uh, I, I, I wasn't good enough, and the uh, the I, the the uh, wire rope that I needed on my boat was too unwieldy. And I hired a guy by the name of Joe Sones. Oh my goodness! Out of uh, I think it was Long Beach, California, or Southern yeah. California, Southern and California. he he did all my eye splices for me on my boat. Best possible person in the world, perhaps to do that job. He's definitely old school, um, uh, amazing, amazing splicer. 
are just amazing. Oh, his splices are beautiful. They're just they're yeah. just quite beautiful splices. Huh? So, and well, it, there are people who have learned how to splice wire out of that book, and um, it led me to some interesting places in the world. You know, people say they want training, for instance, how to do it. And um, I just tell brief story. Uh, we now have a rigging device that, that, that we sell. Uh, get it made up. Um, a lost leader, but just because I love the art so much. But um, when I was quite a bit younger, I um, I wanted to make the ideal portable rigging device. I wasn't quite satisfied with any of the ones I came across, uh, including the one that's shown in the book. And so when I was traveling, I would I would visit rigging lofts, and they would always have a rigging device uh, in those days. And uh, I would make sketches, and these were sometimes huge vices, but they oh, had some yeah. nice, nice technical details, like the shape of the jaws and how they're offset. You know, the thread, whether it's a handle or a wheel, dimensions, right? And I, little by some, over several years, got this envelope full of sketches from six different directions uh, and, and trying to draw a scale with circles and arrows and say like this and do that, you know, double-decker and such. I had this envelope stuffed with these appallingly bad sketches and found a pattern maker out in, in, uh, in Maine who was willing to try to interpret my um, drawings. Uh, so I got back to to uh, Port Townsend, I, I I had the envelope and I uh, didn't have his address. Uh, it was a Saturday, and I thought, well, I'll just call him Monday and get his address and Woods's name. And there was a knock on the door, and this proverbial old sea captain walked in the door, and he was carrying um, he was carrying my vice. He was carrying. Uh, we were able to to hold the drawings up to this vice, and everything was the same. It was. It had a no maker's mark on it. I've never seen one since. Uh, it's the only one I've kind of ever seen, be, you know, before or since. Um, he had no idea where it came from. Um, he used it to splice the slings that unloaded the first locomotive in Korea. It was one of those little old artifacts, right? So I, the only difference was that I added this little restraining device in the very front of the transverse jaws to keep it from bowing from the pressure from the back jaws. My oh my, what a cosmic world, you know? You get into wire splicing, next thing you know, you're hooked up with old sea captains who unload locomotives in Korea. <laughs> but rigging is like that, and yacht rigging in particular. I mean, I've worked in other aspects of rigging, you know, theater and rescue and occasional SWAT consultations, you know, to, um, arborists, timber framers, treehouse builders. Um, but yacht rigging has the biggest, I think, spectrum of activity and the most interesting cross-section of people including old sea captains you know so it's boats take you into interesting places is what i'm trying to say i'm looking at your website and i'm looking i found your it took me a while but i found your rigging vice and that is that's very clever it's a uh, it's a it's a two-sided screw like a turnbuckle that brings the jaws in then oh yeah that's how it should be done left and right hand spread on either side so you turn one handle. Ah, okay. And, of course, mine has two screws, one on each side that I try to center it up with. So, okay. Right, which works. It's just, it just slow, um, basically, you're kind of offering. Also, uh, uh, the back jaw is, uh, allows you to do oversized eyes, soft eyes, oh. like around masts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, bring it up at will. And you might notice, if you see the picture there, that the back jaw thread is finer. And side jaws. Oh, I can see that. Yes. Uh huh. So that gives you more power, and that way you can put a wheel on a little bitty wheel instead of a long handle. So you can put it on a, over a, a bench, 
and you don't need to flip a handle and retract it and flip a handle. You can just crank that little wheel in. Looks like a tool I'd love to have, but I'm not sure I can justify it anymore. Oh, it's expensive, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I could buy one now. <laughs> well, if you're the designer, you always have to have a prototype. You can justify yeah. anything in the design right. stage, right? I've still got the original. But I have another one I use for, for smaller wire. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your business. I know you're an author, and I know you do uh, education seminars. Uh, you're up in Port Townsend. Is that correct? Yeah. That's right. Land of the Sailing Amish. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're doing an, our next workshop in October. Your listeners might care to know. I think the 20th of uh, Halloween in the next day, end of October. Um, we do this occasionally or once or twice a year, the Rig Your Boat Seminar. Uh, We've we done other ones. We probably will again. But this one has stuck. We get people to show up uh, with their sail plans or sometimes with their actual boats. They can bring them here. and We can actually do some work on them, use them as uh, – good and bad examples, you know, talk about deck layout, material selection, tuning, how to work a loft, that kind of thing. Great fun. It's uh, It was the uh, germ for a, a book I'm still working on, kind of a sequel to The Apprentice. It's called Rig Your Boat, and it's about the details of rigging. I, the Apprentice is, what I had in mind was, uh, here are the principles with some illuminating examples, you know, basic splices and procedures, right? But the idea was just to to throw light on the on the on the underlying principles. And rig your boat is more about okay, you got the principles. Here's how you drill and tap. You know, here's how you do deck layout. You know, here's how you deal with this ridiculous hardware that came with your boat that it's hard to remove. You know, but mm, maybe you okay. should. So anyway, I'm, I'm mostly done with the book, but I've been mostly done with it for several years now. It just kind of keeps growing. It's not. We'll get, it's not doing me any good if it's just still sitting in your head. You know that's that. That's true. <laughs> Meanwhile, I am writing. I'm getting back into writing. For years, I was uh, mostly rigging and mostly, uh, by the way, uh, cruising boats, thirty to fifty feet. Uh, you know, we cast off a lot of mooring lines and get emails from faraway places. You know, the weather is here. Wish you were beautiful. Kind of emails. Um, <laughs> but in between, we work on lots of other things. Uh, uh, I'm, I might. Well, I might be working in Disneyland this winter, re-rigging the Columbia Red Aviva, the ship down there. Oh, okay. That'd be great fun. Um, so we work on, you know, so-called tall ships as well as cruising yachts. Uh, great fun. And then, and then writing, like I say, uh, uh, you might have seen recently there's a practical sailor article called "The Hidden Causes of Rig Failure." Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but I recommend it. Okay. And uh, just talked about. You know, how to look for stuff that isn't immediately obvious. And then uh, it ended with a puzzle for the readers, which they hadn't done before. You know, uh, what else is wrong with this picture besides the problem that I just pointed out? What else could, you know, end up with the mast in the cockpit if you didn't correct it? And it was people uh, in sailing, again, quite a cross-section of humanity, got this wonderful torrent of letters and suggestions and analyses and naturally, some of them were legitimate problems that I hadn't thought about, you know, that, yeah, they're right. This could be an issue that, you know, from just from this one photograph. So there's a real hunger, I think, and curiosity. Of course, a lot of the questions were completely off base. They had no idea what they were talking about. But they were eager, willing to expose themselves, uh, you know, take a chance, which is a great thing. Okay. It's an active community, which is great when I get to work with people like that. Now, did you ever get to know Sam Moores at all? 
Sam Morris of the uh, Bristol Channel Cutters? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, briefly, somewhat. Yeah, I okay. certainly got to know a lot of his boats. Okay, well, I just was wondering because he, when he sold his business and he retired, he moved up to Port Townsend. I was just wondering if you ever got a chance to get together with him when he I, moved up there. Gosh, I don't think so. I don't think I knew that. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, no, I think I met him years before in California, maybe at a boat show too, and aboard some boats. But no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, that's where he passed away was up there a long time ago. So I, Yeah, a long time ago, I guess. Um, my goodness. I also got uh, had the privilege of getting to know Mr. Hess. Oh, really? I, Lyle Hess, huh? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there are some people in the world who are just blessings to be around, you know, that you, you marvel at, 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 uh, on a daily basis. Uh, another one comes to mind is Carol Hossey, who's the sailmaker here in Port Townsend. I think arguably the best sailmaker in the world, at least in terms of cruising boats. She builds durable sails that can actually work efficiently. They're not just pretty sails or hand-sewn and such, although they are pretty and hand-sewn, but they are very durable and very well shaped. And I've known her for well, going on 40 years now, and just every day it's like, wow, this is an incredible person. Just, I, I just feel fortunate you know, to be around people like that, and Lyle Hess and Ted Brewer and um, or the Pardees, you know. Um, as Paul McCartney once told me, Brian, you should never drop names. Um, but I can't help it, you know. <laughs> There's some great people I've had the privilege of meeting. Uh, the Pardees uh, have this little, well, they live on a little island uh, off the east coast of New Zealand, just uh, north and east of Auckland a little bit, a uh, tiny little island called Kawao. Um, and two of the most generous spirits in the world. Um, and that brings up the... the um, the topic of celebrity for me. Um, I have in a very, very tiny niche, I'm, I'm known as a rigor, you know, why I'm on this podcast. I, it's not hard to be humble um, because it is such a tiny, ridiculous little niche. I just happen to write some and people know my name. The Pardees have, you know, circumnavigated twice and and then done a whole bunch of sailing in the middle uh, without engines on boats they built, <laughs> right? And they've written all about it and they've uh, achieved celebrity. And uh, it's, uh, on the one hand, um, as Stuart Brand of the Holy Catalog fame said, uh, celebrity is a tool, and it can get you into places you couldn't get into otherwise. It has some toxic downsides, but it's, you know, it can be useful. And I think that's how they treat it. It's like, oh, thank you very much, but I'd like the book. Um, and wow, what a neat place to sail, kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but people uh, take any opportunity, I think, sometimes, uh, to take a stand, which include uh, slamming people, you know, uh, finding them uh, not good people. So here's a little story. They have no engine, and uh, they used to sail into anchorages, and people would come out and say, oh, the parties are here. Let's go out and offer to tow them into this tricky channel. And and they would say, uh, uh, no, thanks, really, we're, we're good. We're just going to reconnoiter with this dinghy, and then we'll come in and we'll sail in. It's, thank you very much, but thank you. No, but we're, we're good. And these people would go back and saying, those stuck-up people, they, they, they're, too, they're too good for us. They won't take a tow even though you know, we offered it to them for free. And so there was just no winning, right? Mm -hmm. So next time this happened and they heard about this, they said, oh, okay, well, thanks, sure. Uh, here, just we'll, we'll take a tow from you. So they came into the anchorage and people spread the word. Those guys, they talk about having no engine, but they count on people <laughs> like us to, to, to tow them in. <laughs> They got to take a stand. Um, but they, in spite of that, they've put up with uh, 
some interesting behavior, I think, from folks, and they end up still being the most generous, gracious people. And what a what a you know a privilege uh, it is to know them. People like that. The world needs people like that you know, to do this extra, go this extra several hundred miles in order to achieve excellence and then have the, the generosity of spirit to, to share that adventure and to, and to help kindle it in other people who might not even have been aware that that's something they wanted to do. So, well, you know, books do affect me. me. And, you know, I was a dreamer of sailing from the time I was uh, 16 years old. Ah. And, of course, I never grew up on the water. What but, book spoke to you? Well, uh, the parties books, uh, ah. Cruising in Seraphim, the 20-foot oh, sure. book. Their first book was the one that really inspired me to uh, <clears throat> to go down this path. And, of course, uh, you know, so I built my boat and uh, because I couldn't afford it. But what boat did ah. I choose? What, I, I chose a boat like their boat because I yeah. uh, it was a proven design, and that's yeah. why I chose you know, a lot it. of other people chose yeah. that book. Not that many. I, my boat is number 71, and I don't know how many hulls they put out, but there's not that many. You know, it was, yeah. a, it was an expensive boat. Uh, even, uh, even behind the hull, just the hull and deck and going from there, it was still expensive. When I got done building my boat, it took me five years. I, I went down to Sam, and I said, Sam, I don't know how you make money on these. Yeah. <laughs> And he probably said he didn't. <laughs> I think that's. I think that was about the uh, about what he said. He just sort of smiled because you know I would buy uh, a lot of parts right from Sam, and he would mark them up ten percent or whatever right. he did. But but you know he wasn't gouging me or anything. And and I, I think of how much I spent just on materials. I think well, okay, nobody's getting rich building boats. That's for sure. So yeah. So. How did you end up up in Port Townsend? Is that where you're from? Oh, no. I grew up mostly in Seattle and uh, started when I started tying knots. I first was making sort of a living making things like Turks' heads and doormats and such, keychains, just tying thousands of fancy work knots, selling them at street fairs, and then gradually uh, segueing into making boat fenders and then Splicing wire and met the great Nick Denton, a uh, rigger uh, from back east, uh, quite a mentor for me. Um, so gradually veering into boats and then at the same time eager to get out of the city. Um, I came up here to visit uh, after the first wooden boat festival in 70 something, 1970 something. And um, some shipwrights were then in the back room of the building I'm still in uh, at the time. They were back there and they said, hi, Brian, nice to see you. And they just shut down, you know, tools down, rolled a joint, and uh, uh, just shot the breeze for a couple, three hours. And so that was a very friendly reception, but not exactly a, a work ethic going on here. And um, so I went over to Anna Cortis, and uh, Erica Pickett, one of the owners of Flounder Bay Lumber, was running a planer, running a big pile of wood through a planer. And she shouted over, hi, Brian, I'll be with you in about an hour. And kept planing. And I moved to Anacortes because I felt I needed that kind of you know, work ethic support to you know, just temper my life. I lived there for quite a few years, uh, several years, and then moved to Maine another five or six years. And when I came back to Port Townsend, either I had changed or the town, I think that uh, the town had changed, and they picked up some of that work ethic. No more tools down, no more smoking dope ever. Um, 
<laughs> you know, people just <laughs> were doing good work and doing it on a on schedule, and and it ends up being a a self reinforcing this feedback loop that if you do excellent work, then it's hard to be a shipwright that shows up in town that does not do work at least that excellent. Why would you hire that person when you get someone for the same rate or less who does great work? So it ended up being better and better people here all the time. Um, now in that back room is a shipwright, Steve Chapin, who builds and rebuilds wooden racing shells. Now, Pocock uh, wooden racing shells are an extremely high calling. I don't know if you've ever seen one up close, but it's it's like a Stradivarius without the sloppiness of a Stradivarius. You know, it's this amazing, long creature, uh, very thin wood, very carefully molded and braced with no herb no ounce of extra of weight and incredibly strong. And just like this ongoing art exhibition, you know, when I walk back there to see what's what the latest project is. So Port Townsend is, has been my home since uh, 1986. Um, sail up upstairs, Steve in the back, uh, great shipwrights all over town, a great bar builder next door here, Bruce Tipton. Um, it is an amazing community technically amazing, you know, very proficient people of all sorts, machinists, welders, um, just you know, designers, um, just really astonishing community in terms of technical uh, infrastructure. You know, that what's, what, what lives in the hands and minds of the people here is, I think, hard to, hard to equal anywhere. Um, but also an amazing community um, uh, culturally and socially. We've been called the land of the sailing Amish and there's some truth to that, you know, the, the whole wooden boat thing. Let me give you an example. There was a fellow here, just died recently, named Ted Pike. Uh, Ted was a, worked for the local um, Eden Saw, uh, sell lumber, including to a lot of the shipwrights, of course. He was also quite a community organizer and hosting of, of events. He's the kind of person that just reaches out and touches almost everybody. And he had this rapid... Uh, decline and death and and at the time it was just started on the on the way down when this illness emerged he had his boat hauled it was a good sized wooden vessel and he just got kind of stopped and went to the hospital and without any prompting uh, some of the local shipwrights led by Diana Talley who's an amazing person as well great shipwright finished uh, his boat and finished the repairs and upgrade that he had, had started and shortly after they finished the boat to everyone's surprise he just died he just check he just left you know? hmm. and everyone just took a breath and then they called for the travel lift and then there was this spontaneous parade i was out of town uh doing a rig survey for the uh, spirit of dana point schooner down in california um called for the travel lift and then this spontaneous parade i'm told of over 200 people in the marine trades, walked the travel lift uh, to the water, uh, as doing the boat with flags, you know, took it to its slip hmm. from one of their own. That's the kind of town I lived in. Wow. It's, yeah. So, you know, it sounds to me like the sort of place I'd like to go because uh, it's people are doing stuff. They're, you know, it's not an arts community, but it is an arts community because it's, yeah. it's, it's an arts community of, of, useful items i guess is the way i would say you know yeah yeah well 
I've often thought about this uh, uh, building and owning. Well, just owning a wooden boat is arguably, it, it gives you at least as much claim to owning a work of art as if you own a Gauguin. It is at least as culturally deep and complex and aesthetically appealing and unlikely as a great painting. The difference being that if you own a Gauguin, you, you never have to worry about being rammed by some drunken Jackson Pollock. Mm -hmm. You never have to worry about repainting that Gauguin or if it matches your couch. Um, you never have to, you know, touch up chafe around the water line. You know, it's, it's, we have a work of art that we take out in harm's way in some of the least hospitable environments in the world, right? It's amazing art. Um, you're right, though. It is an arts community, but it is an arts community that's very conscious that what they do might affect someone's life or death, right? It's a, as Robert Frost put it, it's a place where the work is play for mortal stakes, which is a very enlightening feeling that you know that what you're doing isn't just going to be pretty although it better be pretty mm -hmm. it it needs to work at least as well as advertised right that's right yeah. all right thanks for listening next week i'll post the second part of the three-part interview with brian toss i will repeat a little bit of this episode just for continuity if you have comments, suggestions for future podcasts, if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, I'd appreciate it. I've reached out to a bunch of people. I've reached out to two people at Navionics, and neither one has even bothered to respond to my email. Also, I went on to the sailing forum and uh, just posted a comment saying, hey, if anybody would like to share your knowledge with me on my podcast... Um, I'd like to talk to you. And, and also anybody at the Sailors Forum who runs the Sailors Forum, I'd like to talk to them. <laughs> I immediately was uh, shut down. The people at the forum did not want me to even talk about the podcast that was available, let alone ask for contributions for it. They shut me down. I said, hey, let me talk to somebody at the Sailors Forum. And nobody would give me the name. They all hide behind aliases there at the Sailors Forum. They won't tell you who they are. They won't tell you their email address. I said, hey, listen, I just want to promote your website. But I don't know who runs Sailors Forum. I tried to find an individual, an email address for somebody to get in touch with at the Sailors Forum. I'm highly suspicious. I will not post to the Sailors Forum anymore. I may go there and, and read some of the comments, but I don't know what the heck's going on there. If you know an actual true individual that runs the Sailors Forum that's willing to talk and not hide behind an alias, um, have them get a hold of me. I found it very bizarre, quite honestly. Very bizarre. Anyway, uh, if you want to learn to study, if you're interested in audio courses on studying for the ASA 101, the 103 or the 104 examinations, I have an audio course available for you at the website. Go check it out if it's of interest to you. Thanks a lot. Joe? You have something to tell me? No, I... 
Don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you, every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs> The introduction and exit quotes for this podcast were from the movie Risky Business, released in 1983 and written by Paul Brickman. The dialogue, which was used in order, were played by Curtis Armstrong, who in the movie played the character Miles Dalby, Nicholas Pryor, who in the movie played Joel's father, Mr. Goodson, and Tom Cruise, who was the main character who played the character of Joel Goodson.